Good morning. Let me be one of the first to welcome you to a new year. Those of you that are joining us online, we're glad that you're with us as well. And uh, we begin the new year, as Scott mentioned, we're, we're going to spend some time over the next several months looking at grace and just uh, to have a better understanding of God's grace, to understand the power of God's grace, and then what it is to begin to practice that. And the Bible reading plan this year, the one-year plan as we do it as a church, that is one of those practices of grace, is as we take in God's Word, uh, we begin to practice what God lays out as grace. And so um, that's where we're headed this year, and this morning we're launching that series by looking at the power of grace, and specifically, we're going to be looking at the presence of grace, and we're going to be in First Peter uh, chapter 1 this morning. Uh, before we get there, though, um, just a couple of things. Uh, thanks to Chris Littrell last week who led us so well in teaching on Christmas Day. We appreciate him and uh, just his word of encouragement to us. And as I was thinking about uh, Chris sharing about getting a pager uh, for Christmas and how amazing that was, um, I can tell you that I I'd never had a pager when I was in high school because we still had to use the phone. Like, I still had to call people and everything. And uh, one Christmas, my freshman year of high school, uh, my, uh, the choir group that I was a part of, I was part of a, a swing choir, so we did song and dance kind of things. I'll share more about that some other time. But uh, Every Christmas, our entire December was Christmas caroling all over the community. We would go to the library, we'd go to women's groups, we'd go to churches, we'd go all over the place and sing uh, Christmas carols all, all the time. I mean, to the point that I didn't enjoy Christmas carols for a long time, because um, I did that for four years in high school. Uh, but it culminated with a party at, uh, at my choir director's house, and, and so as a freshman, in high school, it's my first semester in high school, and so I go with all my friends to this party, and I forget that there's a point that I probably should have checked in with mom and dad. Um, I should have picked up a phone at some point, and I should have called them, but I didn't, and so I, I get home, my friends drive me home, and it's, I don't know, maybe 2 or 2.30, maybe 3 in the morning, and, uh, and I walk in the back door of my house, and the presence of grace um, is waiting there. My mom and dad are sitting there uh, waiting for me, and they said, why didn't you call us? I said, well, I, I didn't have access to a phone. I, no, I didn't have a pager. I didn't have a cell phone, that kind of thing. You mean, nowhere where you were at, where was, there was a phone. No, no, I didn't have a phone. Uh, <laughs> didn't have a phone. And uh, in the next few moments, my parents, if, through grace, shared with me how I would uh, respond in the days coming forward. Uh, <laughs> what would happen? The presence of grace. I love that song that we ended with because this morning, and not just this morning, but every single day, we have the privilege of living in the presence of of God's grace, that He reigns over all of it. 
And, and we can talk about this morning that it's a new year, and so I have, I have all these things that I have planned for what's going to happen and what I'm going to do with the new year and how I'm going to change things and I'm going to do all these things. But ultimately, what we need to recognize at the start of the new year is the presence of grace, the presence of God in our lives. And so that's what we're looking at in 1 Peter chapter 1, one of my favorite books in Scripture. If you have your Bible, turn with me there. Let's stand um, as we read God's Word. If you don't have your Bible, it's on the handout as well, or it's on the screen as also. First Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth, then gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So we're only spending today in this first chapter of 1 Peter, so let me just give you some background on this letter uh, from Peter. We know Peter, in verse verse 1 of chapter 1, he says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, we know Peter. If we've spent any time studying God's Word, we know who Peter is. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He was a fisherman, and and he had a tendency um, to leap before he thought to stick his foot in his mouth. Um, So there are multiple examples of this in Scripture that we see. It's Peter who's in the garden who thinks, I'm going to defend Jesus, and he grabs a sword and he cuts a guy's ear off and then watches as Jesus heals that man. Peter's the one who sticks out his, speaks up and says, oh, no, 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 Jesus, I I won't deny you. And it's Peter who wrestles with denying Jesus. Peter is, uh, he's just, out there. He's so much that of us in so many ways. And yet it's Peter who also, in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's Peter who steps forth and starts to present the gospel in such powerful ways. It's the middle of the day and people start looking at Peter and saying, what's going on in that community of people. What are they doing? Because it seems like they're drunk and they're, they're just filled with all kinds of things. And it's Peter who's po- boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's Peter who writes this letter, who is boldly proclaiming to the people, praise be to God. The God of our salvation 
It's Peter who has taken this leadership role and has, has stepped away from those places of sticking his foot in his mouth. And now that boldness is now being used to share the gospel with people. That's Peter. He's the writer of our letter this morning. And what Peter does in, first, in this letter is he does a lot of connection to the Old Testament, He's writing more than any other writer in the New Testament. He spends a lot of time talking about the Old Testament and connecting it. And I think it's important for us as we start a new year and as we think about a Bible reading plan, that so often we're, we're drawn towards the New Testament. Man, we love the New Testament. And I, would, I concur with that. I love the New Testament as well. But when you read the Old Testament, you begin to link the stories and the picture of God's grace and who He is from the Old Testament, and you begin to link it back to the New Testament, you begin to see this greater picture of God's story, which is what Scripture is, really. It's God's story. We like to look at the Bible and think, oh, how is this telling my story? The reality is the Bible is telling God's story from beginning to end. And so what Peter does in his letter, he's writing to these people and he's saying, hey, let me connect you back to some of these Old Testament teachings and bring them into light of this new covenant that we have in Christ Jesus. And so I love that piece of what Peter writes here in his letter. But he also is writing to an audience, an audience that is displaced, a people who are, have been relocated. There are people that are living on the margins. Look what he says here. He says, to God's elect, exiles scattered. Now you can translate this word elect to chosen. He's writing to those who are chosen. And this, again, is an Old Testament connection. Because in the Old Testament, we read about the Israelite people and being God's chosen people. The Israelite people were God's chosen people. The people that Moses leads out of slavery and into the wilderness and ultimately on the cusp of the promised land. And, and Joshua takes them in to the promised land. These were God's chosen people. In a new covenant with Christ, we are chosen people. God has chosen us. He said that there is an opportunity for everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. But not only that, not only are they chosen, but they are exiles scattered. He t he's writing to a people, I brought a map this morning, if you like to see a map. He's writing to a people that are in modern day Turkey, so they're in places like Asia and Bithynia and Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia. Uh, he's writing to people in all of this region, what is modern-day Turkey. And these people have landed in this area for a variety of reasons. Most likely, they've reached those places because they have been persecuted in their homeland. Because of their faith, because of this new covenant, because of Jesus, and what they're following this Jesus way, they have scattered. They have left homes and families. They are refugees in this region of what we know as Turkey. And Peter is writing to them and he wants to encourage them with these words because they are scattered. They picked up in the middle of the night and they left their home and came to this region to find safety. They're people who are living on the margins. They are exiles scattered. And for us today, we need to understand that we too are exiles scattered. That we too are people who are facing 
suffering and persecution. And this morning, what you may need is encouragement. As you start the new year, you're looking back at last year and all that it brought with it. And you're saying, I don't know if I'm ready to step into this new year. You're feeling the weight of what's happened in your life. You're feeling the the stress and the anxiety and the pain of uncertainty about the future. And you too are an exiled and scattered people. And, and Peter uses a few other words that this morning, I just want to take a few minutes um, to touch on these because sometimes when we read them, um, they tend to be churchy words or uh, theological words. And sometimes those words for us are scary uh, because we don't truly understand them. And I don't have all the time to unpack those. Um, if I was teaching a seminary class, we probably would have more time. But this morning, I just want to touch on a couple of these words that Peter uses, because when he writes his letter, he acknowledges the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And all three are vital in our relationship with God. And so let me just look at a couple of things. First, he says, those that are scattered, you chosen, are, um, are there, understand the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, this foreknowledge is more than just knowledge or like future telling. This is the foreknowledge of God. And in the Bible, when we talk about God's foreknowledge, it means that it's God's purpose and plan that is active in our world. God's purpose and plan that is active in our world. Now, that's scary for us because it begs the question that most of us come with then why? Then why are these things happening? Why is this happening in my life? Why is God allowing this or that? If he has foreknowledge, why are these things happening in my life? If he has foreknowledge, why didn't he stop this or that? And those are legitimate questions. It's a legitimate question to be asking. And I would love to be able to stand here this morning and tell you I've got the answer but I don't because I'm not God. And I don't know all of his purposes. I don't know all of his plans. I don't know what his purpose and plan is for what you're walking through right now. I don't know what he hopes to accomplish through what the circumstances of your life are right now. I don't know that. And the reality is you don't either. But here's what I know about God's foreknowledge. By the fact that he has this foreknowledge, God cares for you and sees you where you're at. Because of his foreknowledge, he has great care for you and he sees you where you're at. And more than that, it didn't take him by surprise. This is the comfort that we find in God's foreknowledge and who he is. The magnitude of who he is still comes back to the fact that he cares and it didn't take him by surprise. The second thing he talks about is the Spirit. He says, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, this sanctifying or sanctification that we read about in Scripture is the transformational process of our relationship with God. And there are a lot of things that we can try to do on our own to transform ourselves. I mentioned to our volunteers this morning that lots of people look at their New Year's resolution as a two-week to-do list right? You write out the list. Here are my to-do lists for 2023. And we check those boxes off 
And we think all of those things, in two weeks, we're going to have this transformation that's going to take place. But on our own, we are unable to have a spiritual transformation. It requires God's Spirit in us and through us to begin to transform our lives. That's why Bible intake, when we sit down and read God's Word, it is not a checklist for you to do to keep up with all of us as we're reading through it, or to say, hey, look, I'm already on to April. <laughs> it's not for those purposes. The reason that we spend time in God's Word is because there is sanctification or the work of the Spirit that is transforming us from the inside out. It is not a work that I can do on my own. I am, uh, I am older this year than I was last year, and getting older every day. And there has been nothing in my life that I could do to earn the sanctification of what God is doing through me. I could work all day long and still be in the same place I was when I was a 10 or 12-year-old walking with Jesus. But through God's Spirit, it is transforming us. It is sanctifying us. It is bringing us to a place that I want to live and move and breathe and speak like Jesus, with every breath that I am. This is what the Spirit does in us. And then the last thing that he mentions is to be obedient to Jesus Christ. We talked about it with Moses. We talked about it with Joseph. There is an obedience that comes with following Jesus. It's not just to look at Jesus and say, man, he is a a beautiful picture of what it is to live life in this world for Christ. He's a beautiful picture of those things. He's a great teacher, but never to obey what his teaching is. God is calling us to obedience, to follow after him. When we read God's word, when we spend time in prayer, when we're focused in on who he is, we become obedient in those things. So that's just a brief uh, understanding of the introduction. The rest of the time, here's what I want to do. The rest of this passage that we look at this morning is what we can call a doxology. A doxology. A doxology is simply a formulaic praise to God. And in this doxology that Peter writes, I think there's six things that we can take with us into the new year that bring us to the place of of our understanding of who we are in Christ and as we move into this new year. And a doxology, if you've grown up in in certain traditions, uh, I I grew up in a Baptist tradition, but I would spend time with my grandma and grandpa at their Methodist church, and every time the offering was taken, the offering was returned to the front of uh, of the sanctuary by singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And then my favorite part was always the four-part harmony on Amen. Right? Okay, some of you grew up with that tradition. It's a doxology. Oh, thanks. <laughs> You're too kind. You're too kind. But it's a praise to God. And this morning, what I want you to see is these six principles from Peter's doxology for us as we begin a new year. It starts with verse three. Here's what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
The first thing I want you to see this morning in our doxology is that we need to acknowledge God. Chris mentioned it last week. It's from A.W. Tozer. It's a great comment on how we think about, but whatever comes into your mind about God is how you think about God, all right? And so that's what we want to do. As a people, as a church, we want to acknowledge God. And you say, oh, of course, we're a church. Of course we acknowledge God. Wrong. We don't always acknowledge God. We don't always praise God from whom all blessings flow. We don't always acknowledge, praise God to the God of our fathers and our ancestors. We don't praise God always. We don't always acknowledge God. But when it comes to our relationship with God, we need to acknowledge God. It's our first action to look up. In our world, we're so immersed in the negativity, things that can bring us down. We walk around, heads facing the ground, afraid to look up. The cynics are out in full force. The negativity surrounding certain people is palpable. And it's no wonder we wade through our days with the weight of the world's burdens on our shoulders. But Peter reminds us to look up. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this isn't a ho-hum statement. This is the acknowledgement of who we are as Christ's followers. We acknowledge there is a God. We acknowledge God and who he is and his great and infinite intelligence and love and his grace and his mercy. We acknowledge God in our lives. And this is what Peter goes on to say. He says, when you acknowledge God, you're acknowledging God because of his great mercy. His great mercy. In Ephesians chapter 2, Uh, Chris looked at this last week, verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, it really means he is overflowing with mercy. And you think, well, God doesn't have any mercy left for me. No, God is overflowing. He's rich in mercy. Why? Verse 5, because he has made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. He was rich in mercy even when we were dead in our transgressions. He said, my my mercy is so great. I have such an abundance of it that even when you weren't worthy of it, when you didn't deserve it, when your sin was so much, I have poured it out to you because I am rich in mercy. Praise be to God who is rich in mercy. He goes on to say, rich in mercy because he has given us new birth new birth. Now, Jesus encountered a man, Nicodemus, in the middle of the night. Nicodemus was one of those religious leaders that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and Nicodemus was curious. He's like, I've been following this, but man, when I hear Jesus talk, there's, there's something else about this, but I don't want my friends to know that I'm seeking these things. So he comes to Jesus at night. He sits down with Jesus, and in John chapter 3, he has this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus tells him, he says, it's not possible for you to live this way. You have to experience a new birth. And Nicodemus says, wait a minute, how do I do that? I can't go back into my mother's womb and be born again. And Jesus explains, no, I'm talking about a spiritual new birth, that you must be born again. And in that conversation, we have John 3.16. You might be familiar with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We can praise God. We acknowledge God because he has given us his great mercy, but also he has given us a new birth. 
And that new birth then lives, leads into the last thing he says, into a living hope. Whatever your circumstances, whatever you're walking through, when you have this relationship with Christ, you have a God who is rich in mercy, and I acknowledge that. He has given you a new birth in Christ Jesus. You have a living hope, not a dead hope, not a sometimes hope, not a hope when I need it, but a living hope that is constantly there, and it, it goes beyond our circumstances. It's the ability that I have that whatever my circumstances are, I have this living hope that is in the acknowledgement of who God is. He knows this world a whole lot better than I do because He created it. He knows people a whole lot better than I do because He created us. And we acknowledge God and who He is. So the first piece of our doxology this, for this new year is to acknowledge God. The next thing He says is in verse 4. He says this, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. The next thing we want to see is that we accept his gift. As we acknowledge God, we are brought to a place of accepting his gift. And this is what we celebrate. Christmas, throughout the year, we accept this great gift of God's love. And God's gift of love goes far beyond our understanding of love. Last week, you may have gotten some gifts. You opened them on Christmas morning with lots of fanfare. You tore open the paper, you looked at them, and you're like, oh, thank you, I have been wanting this. And then Monday, you went to the store and returned it. <laughs> lots of fanfare. Thanks, I'm so glad you got me this. Like Chris said last week, socks and underwear. Monday morning, you were at the store returning those. Did you know that Amazon even lets you return those without the person that gave you the gift knowing that you returned it? I mean, come on. <laughs> we reject gifts on a regular basis, and in our rebellion, in who we are as sinful people, we reject God's gift of grace, His gift, His greatest gift, and we spend our lives rebelling against that. We push against it. We don't want anything to do with that. We reject it, we reject it, we reject it until we come to the place where we recognize, man, what is this gift, this gift of salvation that God is offering? And we have a choice to make. Will I accept that gift? We spend our lives rejecting this gift, and and God just says, would you just accept my grace and my love? Instead, we accept our cheap imitations of what those things look like. And God continually comes back to us and in His infinite grace says, here's my gift once again. Would you accept it? But more than this gift of inheritance through salvation, it's a secure gift. It's something that we can hold on to. Look at the language that Peter uses. He uses these words. It's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The word perish right? We live in a disposable world. Everything that we have is to dispose of. Lots of our clothes are disposable. We talk to our kids all the time, sorry it broke. The people don't make things the way they used to, and we just toss it away, right? We can go get another one. We live in a, a disposable world. We have so many things today which are fashioned and constructed to be disposed of, and that disposable nature seeps into every aspect of our lives, where jobs, relationships, and families can be seen as disposable. But God's gift of salvation lasts, it endures, 
It is steadfast in His character to bring it to last. He uses the word spoil. It says it'll never spoiled. And again, our world is cluttered with sin. The depravity of who we are is inescapable. The moment we enter the world, the stain of sin is apparent. But God is undefiled. He is undefiled. Those leftovers in your fridge, they have a shelf life. They're only going to last so long. There's only many, so many things you can make with turkey and ham, okay? <laughs> they will not sustain the great taste they had over the holidays, I assure you. Left to the elements of this world, they spoil. They rot. Like so many things in this world, they are temporary. But God's gift is eternal to those who acknowledge God. The last word he uses is fade. It'll never fade. In Back to the Future, Marty McFly has a picture of his siblings, he and his siblings. And the crux of the movie is he has to get everything right in the, back in the past so that the right is corrected. And he has this portrait, and throughout the movie, as it gets closer and closer, that picture begins to fade. His brother and sister begin to fade, and then eventually Marty begins to fade. And as he's playing the guitar, he begins to fade. Things fade. They begin to get distorted, and images captured in that picture gradually fade away. Time has a way of bringing about the fade in our own life. Over time, memories we once had begin to fade into the background, but Peter reminds us that the gift of God's grace, His salvation, is free from the ravage of time. It is permanent and everlasting. And this morning, this is maybe where you need to pause right here to accept this gift that God has given you. You've spent a lifetime ignoring God, trying to deny that He wanted anything to do with you. This morning, I want you to know He sees you. He cares about you. He desires a relationship with you. In fact, He desired a relationship with you so much that He sent His one and only Son, the greatest gift to, to earth, to die on a cross for you. For you, for you. And this morning, as you're thinking about 2023 and how can I change, how can I change things in my life? The best thing you can do to change your life is to accept God's gift of salvation. Say yes to Jesus for the first time in your life. Say yes to following after him with all of your heart, with a passion that you've never felt before. And I, I can guarantee you doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect, but I can guarantee you that your life will be transformed. This morning, will you accept his gift? Verse 5, he goes on to say this, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last days. The third thing I want you to see is this, rest in God. Rest in God. There are a ton of uncertainties in this life. And as the new year turns, you may be wrestling with some of those things. For you, your family, there is stress, anxiety in your workplace. There are tensions in your home. There's questions of how you're going to make it this month with the rising prices of things. Our country feels like it's not crushing it right now. You feel all of those things. You can become fearful people, afraid of the next big shoe to drop in your life. And what's already burdensome 
But Peter reminds us to find rest in the provision of a God who is bigger than all of those things. He reigns above it all. As we inherit the salvation, we also enjoy the protection of God's power. Understand, Peter is writing to a people who are suffering. They're suffering deeply. What the amount of persecution they were facing, we don't know. But they were suffering, and Peter is encouraging them to rest in the provision of who God is, find protection under him. There are people where the sun may have come up every morning, but it was not a Hallmark movie for them. No perfect endings to their day. There was a burden being carried by these people, not unlike you and me today. Peter calls them, and as readers, we need to be reminded that God is our provider, our protector. We're going to get blasted at times in this world and feel as though God is against us. That's the feeling that we get when we project our marred feelings and projections and characteristics on who God is. But the scripture reminds us that God is our protector. David wrote about it often. The burdens of his life would weigh on him. And and in Psalm, uh, Psalm 62, he wrote this, yes, my soul find rest in God. Why? Because my hope comes from you. Find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. My protector, my provider, find shelter in who God is. Rest in God in 2023. In verse 6, he goes on to say this, Truly He is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will not be shaken. Man, what a beautiful picture, right? He is my fortress. He's my foundation. I, I'm wobbly. Don't put me on a set of skis. Don't put me on ice skates. Don't put me on roller skates. My legs go whoop, and I'm flat on my back. My foundation is really shaky at times in a human form, okay? But Christ is my rock, my salvation. I, I may sway a little bit, I may falter a little bit, but man, that rock is secure, and it is permanent, and it is sure, and I can rest in that. This morning, maybe that's where you need to find yourself. You say, man, I am tired. I am weary. Uh, 2023 kicked my butt, and God says this morning, just find rest in me. Rest in me. Let me, let me wrap my arms around you. Let me hold you And let me encourage you today. He goes on, Peter does. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What I want you to see this morning is rejoice. Rejoice in all things. I'm one of those people who wakes up with a song in my head every morning. Maybe it's hollow notes. Maybe it's uh, Britney Spears, maybe it's Kelly Clarkson, maybe it's Chicago, I don't know. I just, there's a song always playing in my head when I wake up in the morning, and there's a lot of me that says, I wish I lived in a musical, okay? (laughs) That just my everyday was a musical. I think people would be a lot happier if they lived in musicals, okay? And just singing all the time, and you spoke in song, and just, there's something about that. I, I loved music. Music has played an integral part in my life. And it is a place where I have not only rejoiced in who God is, but I have contemplated, I have meditated through words of music and find rejoicing. And I know this morning, 
Rejoicing is a hard thing for some of you. You look at where you're at and you're saying, no, I can't. I can't find joy right now. Okay, that's all right. But I want you to know that joy and rejoicing can exist in whatever the circumstances you're walking through. Because God is bigger than your circumstances. He's bigger than what you're walking through. He's a God who knows all of it, has already seen it, and just wants to be there with you. And in that assurance, I can rejoice. I can rejoice in in what is really temporary. What you're walking through may not seem temporary. Man, that diagnosis, that health crisis you're walking through, there's daily reminders of that. You walk into the doctor's office and you're reminded of the health crisis that you're, you're walking through and you say, Matthew, that doesn't seem very temporary right now. You're facing financial crisis and you're saying, man, it doesn't feel very temporary right now because every morning there's an email or there's something in my mailbox reminding me of where I am financially. My family situation doesn't seem temporary. It seems like it's gone long and it's been painful and it's been hard. But the temporary sufferings are in this world are nothing compared to the eternity that we enjoy with Christ. And I don't know why it is that we are surprised by the sufferings that we face because Jesus talked about it as well. In John chapter 16, Jesus said this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. What? I have overcome the world. Take heart. Christ has already overcome it. It may not feel like it in this moment, and I get that. I don't want to minimize that, and Peter doesn't either. But we need to find our place to rejoice in all things. God, I want to rejoice. I don't know all the situation. I don't know the purpose of this. I don't know the plan for this, but I want to rejoice. I want to sing a new song in 2023 that puts you at the focus, and I wake up every morning with a song in my heart that says I want to rejoice in who God is. Because suffering is like Thanos. It's inevitable. Peter's charge to us is our response to the suffering. Will we rejoice? Will we rejoice because in our suffering we are drawn back to acknowledging who God is? Who God is. All right, verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The next thing I want you to see is refine your faith. Refine your faith. It's a great picture that Peter paints for us here uh, about refining and what gold is. When my family traveled to California last summer, my kids got to pan for gold. And uh, it's a cool experience. They, they set it up. They give you a pan. They, they have this, this trough set up, and it's got lots of rocks and different things. And, and somewhere in there, there's gold. And you start panning for it and watching my kids pan for it, I think they thought they would just pull their tray up and man, there'd be, I mean, just be shiny, you know, like just gold, we're rich. And dad would be like, yes, we are, let's go. (laughs) They're panning for this gold and it takes effort, it takes work. You start to pan for it and then you start getting frustrated because the person next to you, you know, their sister found gold. Like, I'm still looking for it and they're not finding any of it. 
We think in gold and it's this precious metal and it's, it's perfect and it's pristine and it's shiny and no, it's raw. It takes some refining. It takes some stuff to get the muck off of it, to get it to the place of that. And when you find it in its, its natural state, it's, it's covered in all kinds of things. You have to chip away at some of those things. Our faith is like that. Our faith needs that. It needs that refining. It needs that place where it's chipped away at here and there that we find ourselves encouraged by these words that, that Peter is writing, but we're, we're saying, man, where is my faith? How do the pressure of things, how is God refining that in my life to bring us to a place of being precious metals? But he speaks about the fact that this precious metal of gold even it in its final state is still perishable. But God's salvation is not perishable. That we can hold fast to that. And I love what he says. Uh, Ron, can you go back to that verse again? You believe, uh, yeah, there we go. Which perishes even though refined by fire. And do you see the result? That it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is the status of our days to bring praise, glory, and honor before our King. As, as we refine our faith, as He is refining that within us, we bring praise, glory, and honor to God. The last thing we see is in verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him, and even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The last thing I want you to see this morning is to revel, revel in His love. I don't know if you watch the World Cup, uh, if you got up early on some mornings to watch the World Cup, but Argentina won the World Cup. They beat France in the finals. It was an epic, epic match, soccer match, but Argentina won. Argentina won their third World Cup. Lionel Messi, who's one of the premier soccer players in the world, uh, led them to a victory. Third World Cup for the country of Argentina. They had a parade uh, for, for the people in Buenos Aires. Millions of people lined the streets to welcome their team back from winning the World Cup. They reveled in the fact that their country had won the World Cup. Man, can you imagine? I thought when the Cubs won the World Series, there was huge crowds, but this is huge, all right? Millions and millions of people lining the streets to revel in their country winning the World Cup. As great as that trophy is to win, we need to revel in God's love. We need to shout it from the mountaintops. We need to shout it through our days that we revel in God's love. I haven't seen him. I know him. I haven't seen him face to face, but I know his love. I've experienced it in my life. You've experienced God's love. We need to revel in that. We need to revel in the fact that God loves us so deeply and so intimately, more than we could ever imagine in our lives. And each and every day should be filled with such rejoicing over the fact that I can revel in who God is because He loves me so, so much. Revel in that. You're saying, what, what do I want to focus on this year? In 2023, what could I do? This doxology from Peter gives you six things. Possibly. You don't have to do them all. But maybe one of those things is something that sticks right now in your mind that says, here's where I want to hone in this year. Maybe it's acknowledging God. You're just, you're just there. You're saying, man, I've never really thought about Him, but this morning, as I start a new year, I'm just going to acknowledge that there is a God and start to discover who He might be.
Maybe you've moved past that discovery phase and you say, man, this morning I want to accept God. I want to accept His free gift of salvation in my life. That's how I want to start the new year. Maybe I, maybe I just need to rest. I just need to rest in who He is. Maybe it's just refining. Maybe it's rejoicing more. Maybe it's reveling in who God is and His love for you. Whatever it might be, here's what I hope for you. And as a church, that we would come to a place of acknowledging who God is. His grace and His mercy is great. It is new and fresh every morning. And that as we experience God's grace in our lives, that we would be a people who would live like Jesus, not only in this place on Sunday morning, but in our lives, in this community, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, so that people would experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ in their lives. Would you pray with me? Father God, you are a great God. And if we were just to pause in that for a moment, to think about who you are, creator of the world, creator of us, who has set your image inside each of us to acknowledge you with our lips, with our lives, to live for you. Father, in this place this morning, we come to the start of the new year and we say, man, I have wrestled for a long time in rebellion against God. I've pushed against His ways and and His pull on my life. And this morning, maybe you sit here this morning and you say, I want to accept that gift. It takes nothing more than to acknowledge who God is. To say, God, I, I recognize who you are and I recognize who I am, a sinner, filthy, dirty, with all of my mess. I come before you and I say, will you love and accept me? And you say, yes. And we're welcomed into your family, adopted into your family. This morning we sit at the start of a new year and we've walked with you for a long time. But it's faded. It's felt like I've lost memories of what it was to follow you. And this morning I just need to be reminded to revel in your love. To find myself refining my faith this year. To set before you all the things that I'm carrying, the burdens of my life. And I need to lay them at your feet and say, I trust you. Wherever you find yourself this morning as we continue to worship, I pray, God, that you would invade our lives. Invade them in such a way that it is unmistakable about the transformation that is taking place in our lives because of you. That we would be a church that would be invaded by you in such a way that we would live like you in this community. That people would be drawn to you because of our commitment, our faithfulness to you. Father, it's your spirit at work in us and through us. May it be true of us each and every day. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.